It is now what they call participation time for you. Uh, so grab your phone or grab a pen, write it down. I would love for 100% of you to do this. I understand if you won't. But at the very least, think deeply. But also, write it down in your phone or on some paper. And yes, I'm going to give you a little time of silence to do this. It's only awkward if you think it is. So here's the question. What would you say is the purpose of the Bible? Ready, go. All right, time's up for now. Now, Thursday, late afternoon, early evening, I took two of my children, Elena and Frederick, put them in the double stroller and traipsed around downtown Rock Hill and went up to random people and asked 20 of them or so that very same question. And that's all I asked. I didn't follow up or anything. I just asked if I could ask him a question, asked that one, and then smiled, said thank you, and walked away. Can I share some results with you? Yeah, you're going to have to listen closely, but, but here's the results. Oh, and I also had two friends in very different places of the country who did the exact same thing. And between the three of us, we asked about 70 people. Here's the results from those three places. 5% of people just, they were honest, they were ignorant, they just said, I don't know. Um, and I should also say, no one yelled at me. Every single person answered the question. They were all happy to do it. 5% just said they didn't know. 7% said it's informational or historical. Like it's there to tell you what happened. 14%, I would say they had a, a derogatory or they disregarded it or just some kind of negative answer. Um, these were all over the place. And, and I'm guessing, though I don't know the background of all these people, by their answers, some of them probably had a really bad experience along the way with a Christian or a church or a pastor or something. Um, because answers here ranged from there's no use, its primary use and only use is to control people, um, it's just there to fill hotel drawers, things like that. That was about one out of every seven people. 14%, another 14%, um, they gave some answer about the Bible and like there's a truth about the Bible, but it wasn't the purpose necessarily. Like they said, oh, there's a lot of truth in the Bible, things like that. And then far and away, the greatest answer, over half people, 56% of the people said, I want you to guess in your head what they said. 56% of the people said it's an instruction manual for life, guidelines for how to live, or it's a way to make society more moral. 56%. And some of those people you could tell, and I, I guess I'm making an assumption here, but you could tell that they were a person who was very confident in this answer. They went to church all the time. They would say, like they would self-identify as a Christian. And some of those people said it more like, well, I don't know, but what it seems like from what I see in the world is that the purpose of the Bible is a system of morals and to help you live in a certain way. Um, here are some quotes. 
to guide society to live morally. It's an instruction manual for life. Make you a better person. Be a moral compass for people. Guidelines for how to live your life. To guide us, moral guidance, our roadmap, reference guide on how to be a good neighbor. Those are just a few of that 56%. Now, two takeaways from this. And I could name a lot more, but here's two. 86% of people had a generally favorable view of the Bible. They didn't hate it. That was more than I thought, I think. 14% just very negative. And then the other takeaway is the one that I just laid out for you. Over half the people, the majority, just very confidently most of them said, it's a way to live. That's the purpose of it, to teach you how to live. That's not the purpose of the Bible. But let's imagine, what if it were? What if that were the purpose of the Bible, to be a moral guidebook for you and for society and for the world? Let, let's walk down that path. If that were the purpose of the Bible, then the main character, you could say the protagonist, the one to whom the whole Bible points, Jesus, he would kind of fade into the background if that's what we thought of as the purpose for the Bible. Because we could say, well, is Jesus the savior of the world? Well, sure, the Bible says so. Did Jesus do good things? Sure. But what does Jesus have for me now? Well, he already gave me all the goods, you could say. He laid out this wisdom. Now, it's up to me to take it and make the most of it and improve and be better. And Jesus, as the savior, kind of fades into the background. And I didn't press people on it because I was just there to ask them one question. But that's kind of what I observed. Um, and let's go a step further. If the purpose of the Bible is mainly for moral guidance, then there's two kind of possible ways things could go. And there's more, but these are the two main ones. You could either look at these checklists and the Ten Commandments and all the other commands in the Bible, and you could work at them and try really hard, and you could have success. You could improve and you could be really good and you could grow in morality and be a wonderful neighbor and you could feel good. Except where does that lead? Because there's these pesky other passages in the Bible that say things like, all fall short of the glory of God. Or if you sin even just one time, it's the same to God as if you've broken every single law. And even one sin separates you from God. The Bible also says those things. And so, so if you have success, according to the purpose that many people laid out, um, I heard it said it, it's like vacuuming your living room while your roof's on fire. You're vacuuming your living room, you're cleaning it up, you're feeling really good about yourself, all the kids' toys are away, but your roof is on fire. And that's the bigger, that's the bigger problem. And the house is going to fall even while you're cleaning inside of it. That's one possibility. The other one, and we could have a good conversation about this, but I think this is the one that happens more often, is that if you think of the Bible as moral guidelines and an instruction manual, more often than not, reality hits you. And you, not, you don't think of yourself as a success. You realize just how often you fail. And so there's this dark cloud of 
not enough that seems to be hanging over you all the time. And that, and I say this somewhat jokingly, even though it's very serious, that's like trying to vacuum your living room floor while you have three kids who like eating crackers for a snack. And if you think that by trying to vacuum up all those crackers that it's just going to be good and everything is going to be pretty in your house, you're going to always be disappointed and depressed because no matter how many times you vacuum, there's still going to be crumbs because you can't see all of them. And you know this. And whether it ends up in either of those paths, as I stated earlier, the ultimate, the ultimate thing is that Jesus is diminished and you feel empty because success leads to emptiness and failure leads to emptiness. Um, you're always going to end up disappointed. Now, the purpose of the Bible, as I've said, is not to do that. Not what 56% of the people said. So what is it? Well, for those of you who are keeping close track of math, 4% of people gave what I would say is a great answer. Because the percentages I uh, shared earlier added up to 96. 4% of people gave a good answer. And John gives a good answer too. And I'm just going to let him speak. Here's the purpose of the Bible. John 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, signs which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, life in his name. John was talking about the book that he had written, and he was ultimately talking about the whole Bible. And what's the purpose? I'm going to repeat it. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing that Jesus is the Messiah and having life in his name. And in verse 30, maybe you notice, John doesn't say everything that Jesus did was a miracle or a marvel. He calls it a sign. And we talked a lot about this a few weeks ago. When you see a sign, don't get stuck on the sign. Because the sign always points to something greater. The sign isn't the thing in and of itself. It's pointing to something better. And that's why Jesus did the signs. All these signs, John says, they were recorded so that you could believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? It means anointed one or promised one. John's saying that Jesus is the promised one, the one that God promised, even from the way beginning of time, since the very first humans, Adam and Eve, messed it all up and plunged the world into sin. To those first two people, God promised the Messiah who would restore the broken relationship between humans and God. And without the Messiah, that relationship could never, ever be restored because we can't restore it, because we can't be perfect. Jesus is the Messiah, and he says that by believing, you may have life in his name. What does that mean? We could talk probably forever about this, I'm going to give you two answers that don't, don't cover all of it, but they're a starting point for you. First of all, you want to know what life in Jesus' name looks like. Go back, go on our website, click podcast, and listen to every single sermon 
and Bible study conversation since January. Binge that this week. You listen for an hour a day, you could be done by next Sunday. And you're going to hear a lot. You're going to hear a lot of God's word because John is summing up everything he said in the book. So everything he said, all the signs that we've talked about throughout the past five months, they point to what life is like and what life looks like in Jesus' name. So do that this week. An hour a day. It's not that much. Secondly, when, Je when John says life in Jesus' name, he's ultimately here referencing what we sometimes call eternal life. Life after this world ends, after you're dead and in the ground. Perfect life in heaven, we sometimes say, with God forever and ever. But don't miss this. Because eternity is not just in the future. Eternity, by its very definition, includes now. It's not just something that starts off in the future. Eternity, from God's perspective, is also right now. And even though you might think of it as the future, when you know that God's promise of eternal life forever and ever in heaven in a perfect way, when you know that is your future and it is completely secure, it changes what life looks like right now. If, if you hate dark places and you're walking or driving through a tunnel and it's completely dark, that looks very different from if you're scared of dark places and you're walking or driving through a very dark tunnel and then you see the light at the end of the tunnel. It changes everything about how you go through that tunnel when you see the light at the end. And it's the same way in life. Life in Jesus' name, ultimately eternal life, which to us seems off in the future, but it's a light that's more certain than the light at the end of any mountain tunnel or in any cave. And it completely changes the, the daily ins and outs of life right here and right now. And I'll cycle back again. If you want to do a deep dive, go listen to every single message since January to get more specifics. Now, about this last Thursday, was I naive? I don't know. Part of me thinks I was naive because I expected not exactly what I found out. And the research that my two friends and I did, it mirrors what national research firms do, but it hit me different when I was standing face to face with people and they would kind of fidget and say to tell you how to live. Or they would say with a big smile on their face, it's to make you more self-confident. And it's to help you live better and be a better neighbor. It was different when people were saying it straight to my face. Was I naive? Maybe. I was surprised. Definitely. It made me sad, but also excited. It made me excited because, because of how easy it is to tell someone something that they have no idea about. I'm going to go out again, not even to just to share with you, but just because it was awesome and I can't wait to do it again. And I wonder what, what um, like the two probably late teenage girls would say when, when they responded to my question and then I said, well, what if, what if I told you that it were different? What if I told you the purpose of the Bible 
was primarily to tell you how unconditionally Jesus loves you. And that the guilt that you can't get rid of, he lifted it off of you. And that he's going to love you forever and ever. I can't wait to say that to someone and then see how they respond. And then have more of a conversation. There was one lady. I said 4% of the people. One of the ladies I talked to, she got it. Um, yeah, and she was so gracious. She was walking downtown, down Main Street, um, earbuds in, definitely exercising, not just leisurely walking. And she was so gracious. Um, I just kind of said, excuse me. And then she took him out and, and listened. And, and she was like the 11th or 12th one I asked. And she said, well, to offer salvation to all sinners. And I couldn't help it. I just blurted out, that is the best answer I have heard all day. And then she proceeded to tell me about herself, which most of the people didn't, which was fine. But she said, yeah, a few years ago, and she was probably 50, a few years ago, I spent seven months in prison. And now, I work at a recovery ministry in Rock Hill. She got it. And she was, she was maybe who you would think would be the most broken of all the people I talked to. And that's what it was. The other guy who gave the best answer, he was a, a developmentally disabled middle-aged man. And at first he didn't have an answer. But then he called me back <laughs> and he just said, Jesus. That was best answer number two. Points to her because she was more descriptive. But it wasn't the people that looked the most put together. It wasn't the older lady and her husband who confidently said to me, well, it's instructions for how to live life and how to be a good neighbor. It wasn't them that got it. It was the people who you would think would be most broken. And I think it was those people because they weren't whole in themselves. They were whole in Jesus. They knew that by themselves they were broken and that Jesus had completely filled them up, not simply by his teaching or his example, but Jesus had filled them up by his forgiveness and his unconditional love, even though by themselves they were only broken. The people's answers made me sad but I'll say it again, it made me, it made me excited. And, and I don't know if I'll ever sell this to you again, but assume the worst. Assume the worst of everyone you come into contact with. Your neighbor, your coworker, your family member. I don't care if they don't go to a church or they go to another church. Assume the worst. Because... Upwards of 90% of the people I asked, they totally missed it. Assume that what the person you know needs is not more instruction, though instruction is important and it's in the Bible. Assume that what they need most of all is to be made whole by the fact that no matter how well they've done or will do, Jesus died to forgive all of their sins. 
assume that what they need is not merely good advice, but good news. Assume that, and then go and give it to them, just like God has given it to you. Let me pray. Jesus, by myself, I am broken. I am a failure. I can't bring myself close to you, not even a little bit. And yet you chose to bring yourself close to me and close to all the people of this world. You entered into this world as a human being and you lived perfectly and died to bring us to you. Continue to speak to us through your word. Uh, Give us wholeness, not in how well we've done this week or what our goals or aspirations are for this next week, but make us whole. Fill us with peace that comes from you and the good news that you have taken away all of our guilt. And let that peace and joy and, and wholeness fill us up so much so that we overflow so that we overflow and we simply live serving others because we're free to. We don't have to please others. We don't even have to please you because you are already pleased with us and yet we want to. We want to pour out our entire lives in service to others, not to get anything, but because you've given us everything. You have given us life now and forever in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Bless us with fullness and bless us as we pour out our entire lives in love and service to others. Give us again and again, fill our hearts with belief in Jesus as the Messiah, the promised Savior, and fill us with life in his name. Amen.